0: following us online in the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been diving into the book of Philippians. Uh, last week, Dan talked about the sense of joy that Paul had as he wrote the letter to the, um, the church of the Philippians. So today I'm continuing our journey into Philippians by reflecting on the sense of community that is found within the letter. So to start with, I want to sort of set a bit of a, uh, a, paint a bit of a picture for you. So the Church of Philippians is around that red mark in Philippi. And now Paul is writing to the Church of Philippi. He's in prison. And he's writing to Philippi from either Rome or Ephesus. There's like debate again about which prison he was in. Regardless of the fact, Rome is like 1,200 kilometers kilometers away. And Ephesus is about 500 kilometers away. Now the Paul prison was in. It's not like prisons today. So prisons today, in New Zealand anyway, the care and the needs of the prisoners are met by the people that run the prison, be that the government or a private private entity. They provide food, clothing, bits and bobs for all the prisoners. Where Paul is writing from, that was not the case. So Paul would have been in a prison cell in chains, and all his needs would have been met from external sources, from friends, from family. They would have come with money, and they would have come with food. They would have come with, like, ink so he can write his letters. They would have sat there and held his letter to help him write it. All his needs were taken care of externally, by friends and family. If they didn't have someone to take care of them, they literally just died. So, if you're Niger no nomads and you're in prison, you just you don't get fed, you just die. So it's a pretty sort of bleak, bleak picture. Lucky for Paul, he had a community. Um, we're going to dive into the text. Can we hear can we two? We're going to read the text together. Can we stand while we read the text? So teaching text, Philippians 4.10 to 20. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me. But you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then travelled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you, rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. So he's talking about when he's in prison. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. The they are a sweet, smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who, t- who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which, you have been, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. All right, take a seat. So we've got Paul, he's in prison, we've got this community in Philippi, this church. From reading that, we now know that this community, they sent Epaphroditus to him. So they sent a man, he would have had some money, he would have had some goods, they would have sent him to Paul so he can can live and survive, essentially. We also know that no other church did this. So Paul had a number of churches in and around Greece and Turkey. He had uh, Ephesus, there was one in Corinth, Corinth. there was Colossae, and there was another one, Philippi. So there was a number of churches and communities he was a part of. So we know that it was only the community of Philippi that supported him financially and, and cared for him at that stage. When reading this passage, it's clear to see that Paul is right into a community That he has great affection for, and they have great affection for him. You can see the fondness they have for each other throughout the whole letter. Here's some um, extra examples. I'm not going to read them all. We'll go to the third one. He says, If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. It's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like reading a love letter. It's not, You could be mistaken to think he's writing it to just his own immediate family, like wife and a couple of kids. But he's not. He's writing it to, he's writing it to a whole community. Paul is part of a community or a church where there is mutual affection for one another. There is a reciprocal nature in their relationship. It's not one way. So Paul brought them the gospel. They get to benefit from his good works. And while he's in prison, they take care of him, tending to his needs. For me, Philippians paints a picture of what a beautiful community of faith can look like. And serves for me as a bit of a benchmark for us to try and aim towards. N.T. Wright, he says the letter, of the, uh, the, the letter to the Philippians has been categorized as a letter of friendship or a family letter, but might properly be called a letter of fellowship. Fellowship has to do with a genuine partnership, a mutual giving and receiving, and a commitment to shared goals, one from shared resources. Now, if you're anything like me, when you hear the word fellowship, something inside you sort of recoils. I'm like, ugh, it's, it's a little bit cheesy, and I don't know whether that's because I grew up in the church, and we had many a potluck lunches after church, where someone always prayed, thank you for this amazing fellowship. I don't really know what it is. It's, it's, it's a bit of a cheesy word, and often only seen in Christian circles, or Lord of the Rings. like are <laughs> other two places you see it. And so, in order to sort of take it a bit more seriously, this idea of fellowship, I went searching for... Some alternatives. Now, in the Māori world, world, there are two principles that capture this idea of fellowship, of genuine partnership, mutual giving, and receiving. They are tanga and Manakitanga. So I'm going to say it, and you're going to repeat it after me. Fenongatanga. Yeah, very good. And manakitanga. Finaungatanga. That's it. Manaakitanga. Awesome. So for Nongatanga, this is all about relationship. It's about kinship and a sense of family connection. Now, initially it's like for like blood related, but nowadays it's ex- ex- um, sorry expanded out to the rest of the community, the community you're in, all right? The sense of deep connection. And it's created through shared experiences and working together on shared goals that provides people with a sense of belonging and connection. So that belonging and connections is really important. It's through having, a, having shared goals that this belonging and connection come. And, it's the, and it describes the glue that holds people together. All right, so that's Vinoongatanga. Think connection with that one. And manakitanga Manakatanga flows out of Vinoongatanga, and it's a process of showing respect, generosity, and care for others. Like acts of compassion and kindness. So when we merge these two, finaungatanga and Manakitanga, we have fellowship. When we look at the letter from Paul to the Philippians, it's easy to see the principles of finaungatanga and Manakitanga at work. So if we are to hold the Church of Philippi as a bit of a benchmark for us in regards to how we love and support one another, I want, if we're going to hold that up there, I want to pose a question to you all today. And that question is this. To what degree have you experienced finongatanga, close connection, and manakitanga, hospitality, kindness, and generosity, at CV? Does this ring true for you here at CV, or do we have some work to do? Now, I'm aware that in a church of this size with multiple gatherings, so this morning we had at 9 o'clock, we had this size and, and more again. At 4 o'clock, we've got another gathering, about 40-so people, and there's a couple of home gatherings. So collectively, we're about 350 people. I know that in a, in a church the size of 350, there's going to be multiple answers to this. Some people will look at it and be like, yes, I, fe- I feel this. I feel like uh, what we see in the letter to the Philippians, I, I feel that. And then some of you will feel the opposite. They'll be like, oh, this is a real hard um, community to break into. I'm not talked to. People don't see me. There'll be be a whole spectrum of that. And I ask the question not to get an answer from you, but to get each of us thinking about this. You see, from a leadership perspective, we desperately want CV to be a community that is reflective of that scene in, in the Philippines. To have a community where people feel they're a part of, where they have a place of belonging, where needs are taken care of and where they're supported, where they are are experiencing, for tanga and Manaakitanga, is the absolute dream. We long for this. We pray for this. So then the question comes, how do we do this? How do we, and by we I mean you, 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 and me, how do we individually take steps towards creating a community where the principles of whanongatanga and Manakitanga are flourish. Today I want to highlight three key ingredients I think we need to have to get this happening. Are you with me? Yes! Alright, first one, first ingredient. We need to embrace inconvenience and a willingness to give. We need to embrace inconvenience and a willingness to give. In the cultural river we're swimming in, by the mere fact that we're a Western country, people are time poor, we're focused on, they're focused on self, and the overall goal for culture is comfort. How can I live my life so I can gain as much money as I can so I can have the, the greatest comfort? That's, that would be like a, a sort of Western goal. And generally speaking, people are happy to help as long as it's convenient, as long as it fits within their time frame. Within their budget, if I've got some spare money, I'll maybe sponsor a child or whatever, and that's all good. But it's based on it's based on convenience, a lot of it. However, as Christ followers, we're called to so much more. As we talked about earlier this year, as Christ followers, we're called to live counter to that, counterculturally, to go against the grain that of the society that we're in, and to live this countercultural life. Now, that's one of these things that we can talk about and say, yes, I agree, but it's, it's, super, it's super hard to do because we're so immersed in this culture and it, it affects us everywhere we go. So it's one of the, those things that's easier said than done. Now, in the letter to Philippians, I'm intrigued by Epaphroditus. Let's, for argument's sake, say he was imprisoned in Ephesus. The Epaphroditus would have had to travel 500 kilometers By foot and by boat, that's how he would have have got there. And he would have had a whole bunch of stuff to carry with him. That's not just whipping down the road to drop someone off. That would have been a huge inconvenience for Paphroditus. And the fact that he probably had a family, he probably had a commitment, this wasn't just going to be a day or two, this was going to be a number of weeks slash months, if not closer to years. And not only did he have to travel there, Once he got there, he got put to work. Paul says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. So poor gets goes on the 500-kilometre kilometer journey, finally gets there, gets to work tending, for, tending to Paul, and then he becomes ill and he almost dies. I think it's fair to say that he went above and beyond for his friend and brother, Paul. It probably wasn't convenient for Epaphroditus. He probably had other duties. But nevertheless, he went, he sacrificed, and he went above and beyond for his brother. Now, I'd like to suggest that if we're going to have a community where Tonga and Manakitanga are thriving, we're going to have to proactively lift our gaze off ourselves to see others, to enter into their worlds, to enter into their brokenness, to provide relief if we can. We need to be proactive in supporting each other and embrace the inconvenience of it all. I'm going to tell you a quick story going off track here. A couple of weeks ago, in our staff meeting, we have staff meeting on a Wednesday morning, so we're, like, when we get in those modes, it's just like work mode. And then we, there's a knock on the door, and it was um, a lady from our um, gratis community who, she was, she was looking for me. So I went out to her, and I, and I spoke to her. And she was quite distressed. She wanted to be, she needed to be somewhere. Um, she'd missed her bust. She'd woken up late. She was very, very late. And she had no money on her phone, so she said to me, "Rob, can I can I use your phone to to ring this these people to let them know?" And I said, "Yeah, of course." So she uses my phone, rings them, says she's, she's going to be late. They're fine with that, and then uh, she sort of hangs up because she gives, gives me the back the phone. I said, "Where are you where are you wanting to go?" She said, "I'm going over to the shore, in the North Shore," and, and I said, "Okay, how how are you getting there?" Oh, she said, oh, I'm, I'm going to bust. And she's still quite flustered. She's not in the right headspace. And as soon as she said that, an Uber driver pulled up right in front. Of, we were just standing out here. An Uber driver pulled up, and the, the, the passenger got out. And, and he was sitting there waiting for his next ride. She said to me, um, I'm, I'm going to go on the bus. And I saw this Uber pull up. And in that moment, I, I felt this little nudging in me that said, said, Put her in the Uber. Put her in the taxi that's just pulled up. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. My first thought was, that's going to cost a lot of money. Like, that's going to be 40 or 50 bucks. And it was the end of a pay round, so it's kind of like, oh, man, there's not a lot in the account. But as we sort of – I said, where are you going to get the bus from? And the Uber driver's just sitting there. And so she was sort of talking. And then – so I said, look, I I, I listened to the nudge. I said, look, how about we – why don't we just check with the Uber driver? We'll put you in the Uber and you can drive there. And I sorted it out with with the Uber man, the driver, and and I said, said, look, go, jump in the car. He will take you. And at that point, she just started crying. She was like, the the what that meant to her was absolutely huge. Now, I'm not saying that to be well done, me, because I was I wasn't like my initial thought was like, $45 oh, but. I say it to you because it 's in those small things of being inconvenience yes i don 't have forty five dollars that I would have had for something else, but God uses that, and the amount of joy that that brought her, the message the value that she felt from that interaction is way more than forty five dollars it's potentially life changing for her. so all to say, if we embrace the inconvenience whether it 's going to cost us money, time Whatever, whatever going to cost us, in the kingdom of heaven, its value is worth way more. It, it's, it's worth it. It's going to be worth the inconvenience it is to you. All right. So the first one was we need to embrace inconvenience and be willing to give. Second ingredient, we need to embrace humility and have a willingness to receive. Embrace humility and have a willingness to receive. Okay. Participation moment. Show of hands, who here finds it easy to ask for help or receive help? One, two, three, four, five, great, six, a couple. Who here finds it hard? There we go. It's hard, right? It's really hard. We live in a society where generally we don't like to receive help, let alone ask for it. There's almost like a perceived weakness felt if you are to accept help or ask for it. Now, I know this to be so true for myself. I'm happy to be the helper. I'm happy to do this, X, Y, Z. But the moment it's flipped, I'm not so stoked about it. There's something in me that, that I, I, I struggle with that. And for whatever reason that is, pride, ego, insecurity, all of the above, I really struggle to receive and ask for help. And as was highlighted here, I think it is you know, for, for many of us Back in lockdown, uh, lockdown level four last year, the church took up an offering for anyone who who needed financial assistance at that time due to the negative financial impacts of COVID. And it was fantastic. It was awesome. Everyone responded, we raised thousands of dollars, this pot of money that was sitting in the account, set aside for people who may may need it due to the effects of COVID. The next message went out. We said, hey, if you are in need of financial assistance, if you need some help in this time, if you're struggling to pay a bill, pay the rent, whatever it is, let us know, come to us, because we have this pool of money here, it's free, giving, giving money away, and you're entitled to. We said that. Now, in a community of around 350 people, how many do you think personally responded to that invitation? No one, not one, not one person, came forward and said, oh, yeah, uh, COVID's hit me hard. I'm struggling to pay my bills. I'm struggling to pay my rent. I would, I would love that. Not one person. We did get people to come forward, but they were coming forward to nominate someone else. they like, oh, John, I know John's, he's lost his job. He could do with some help. And that's beautiful to see. But no one came on their own volition to nominate themselves. Which again highlights... We are not so hot at asking for help if needed. And in a church of 350 people, you're bound to have people that were affected negatively financially by COVID. Like There were people. We knew there were people. But no one came forward because of this whole thing of, I I don't want to ask for help. Reading Philippians, however, you can tell that Paul so graciously receives the support from the Philippians. I'll go down to that last paragraph he says, at the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, oh, oh thanks, but I'll make sure I pay you back later. He doesn't say, oh, oh you shouldn't have. He doesn't say, "Oh, I'm in prison, but I'll, I'll get myself out. Don't worry, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You're fine." He doesn't say that at all. He knows he's a, he's a, he knows he's part of a community that loves him, and wants the best for him. So he graciously accepts their kindness, because that's just what they do, and and he would do the same for them. This willingness to receive help and support from others is paramount. For a thriving community now i'm going to be honest with you in prepping for this talk i've been super challenged by this i'm not where i need to be on this i want to be better at this and maybe it's pride i don't know what it is but there's something in me that struggles with this and there's usually a narrative that accompanies it if i do find myself in a spot of need the narrative i tell myself goes like this it goes rob you're a co-leader of, of Central Vineyard. You shouldn't need support from people. You should be the one offering support. You should have every area of your life all locked up nice and tight and everything working out. And if you need support, you've almost failed. That's the sort of narrative I can't tell myself. And it often, it's often just a thought pattern. Oh, and the other one, oh, I bet others in leadership don't need help in this. That, side note, that thought, I bet others don't have this, is the biggest lie we can ever tell ourselves about stuff. I bet others aren't addicted to XYZ. I bet others don't struggle with this. It's, I can tell you in this job, it is a load of rubbish. Everyone struggles with the same things that everyone struggles with. So I say to myself, I bet others on the leadership team don't need help in this. It's a lie. It's a big lie. And when I say it out loud like this, it sounds crazy. Yet these are the quiet narratives I can whisper away in my head and eventually start to believe. Here's the the thing though, if I start to believe those narratives, all I end up doing is driving a wedge between myself and my sivifano, you, and in doing so, I take a step away from community, I take a step away from engaging with people, I put a wall up and I fuel this connection. So I can maybe present but I'm not, I'm not present, if that makes sense. Whereas if I get over myself, have humility, realise I'm part of a whānau, made up of people who love me and want the best for me, I can let someone know if I need help. And in doing so, I'm stepping towards a community, I'm stepping towards you, I'm engaging in connection, and I'm combating disconnection. And for knowing a tanga, can thrive, if we are going to experience true connection and deep relationships, we must embrace humility and be willing to receive from others. So first two ingredients, embrace inconvenience, be willing to give to others. Second ingredient, embrace humility and be willing to receive from others. And the final thought before we wrap this up is this, we need to get immersed in the community. To experience finaungitanga and manaakitanga within the community, we need to be in the community. Not around the periphery, but immersed in a community. There's a reason why when you go learn a language, the full immersion way works so well. It's hard, it's really hard, but it works well because you're immersed in the language. And it's the same with community. We all want to be seen and known and whether we, we, whether we acknowledge it or not, it's a deep desire for us all. God made us for connection and community. It is hardwired in us as humans. We're designed to know others and we're designed to be known. It's just who we are as humans. You cannot get away from it. So a final question for us, which is not on there, so I don't know why I'm doing that. a final question is this. If you call CV home, if this is a community where you want to belong in, Have you positioned yourself to be known and to know others? Again, reality is, is in a church of 350 people with multi-gatherings, it can be hard. And this becomes harder and harder the more we grow. When we were a church of 50, I knew everyone's name. I knew what they did for a job. I knew their families. I I knew loads about people. As we creaked up to 100, that got harder. As it got past 100... That got near on impossible well, for me. Some people are amazing and, and can do like maybe 120. But um, for me, it, w- it was hard. But that's when within a community, you find a community within a community, right? And, and, and little, little, little groups start to form within a community. And that becomes your, your, your place to go to, those people. I believe if we're, f- if, if we're fully proactive in immersing ourselves within the community, we will find belonging. We will find Phanongatanga. So here at CV, we have a couple of ways you can do this. The first one you probably would have heard about is circles. Now, that's our equivalent of, of small groups. Right? And These are spaces for deep connection and formation. They, they, people, circles around here, they meet... Uh, regularly, w- whether it's weekly or fortnightly, they meet on this w- regular rhythm to connect um, and connect with each other and, 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 and be formed. So we have circles. We also have, coming shortly, we have these things called tables. Now, if you've been around for a couple of years, you'll know that tables was an event we would hold where we'd have people open up their homes and people would sign up and we would just like sort of spit them out into the various homes, you'd, you'd end up having dinner with about 10 people you don't know. It's awesome. Some of the connections that um, have been made there have become catalysts for long-term friendships. It's amazing. So surely we're going to have tables, but it's going to be a more regular occurrence. So we have people that want to open up their homes. And if you were sitting here and you were like, man, I want to get connected into this community, but I'm struggling or I don't know how, we have a space for you to sign up and we will introduce you to that person and you can gather around a meal, around hospitality um, and go from there. All to say is we must be immersed in a community in order to experience Wanangatanga and Manakitanga.